Hello, I'm Ali Mahan, and you're listening to Churn It Up, the official customer success podcast. Churn It Up is brought to you by Receptive, the leaders in product demand intelligence, helping customer success teams navigate the murky waters of customer feedback. Today on the podcast, I have Iri Ezeeps, CEO at CSM Practice, and she is here to talk about customer health scores. She not only talks about the common pitfalls and the best practices around setting up a customer health score, but she really flipped everything I thought I knew about health scores upside down and came at it from a customer-centric approach in the customer success industry. As we all know, we say we're customer-focused, but we aren't always, and this is especially true with customer health scores. So without further ado, let's jump right in and listen to the master of customer success herself, Iri Ezeeps. Iri, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Let's just jump right in. What are some of the challenges that you commonly see with health scores? The main struggle that I see with health scores that I constantly get CSM teams say that they set up the health score, but then they can't trust the score. They it, It's supposed to reflect the health of the customer and a client might show red and still renew or another one might show in green and will end up churning. In other words, there's too many false positives and too many false negatives and they don't know what to do with it. And eventually what happens if they did invest, for example, in a customer success operating system to automate the entire health score and the health score doesn't really genuinely reflect what the intent of the health score was in the first place, they would sometimes end up not using the system at all. So I see it as a really critical issue, putting a system in place and then not to have the outcomes that you want. It's just a shame, really. Oh, that is such a good point. I've heard that from people in the past, you know, they'll set up a a health score for their team and for their customers. And they just don't end up using it because there's other things that maybe indicate in a faster and a more proactive way, they'll see those warning signs and you know that, that come from outside the health score. So do you have an example of where that main pitfall actually happened? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you ask because I was in Toronto in the fall of 2017 and I met with some very smart customer success executives. You know, they just took the time to have some coffee with me and share what's going on. And one of the companies that I've met with just invested in a customer success operation system. And not surprisingly, one of the modules that they were thinking of investing in was the health score. And so they started looking at different usage patterns that they got the data, I believe, from Mixpanel or Google Analytics, and they pushed that back into the system. And then... What happened is that, that the issue was is that most of the customers, based on the health score that they set up, were still showing in yellow, meaning there were very few that were red and there were very few that were green. And I remember just sitting down with him and we looked at the health score together and the results. And the executive looked at me and he said, well, I don't think we can really rely on this health score. Clearly it doesn't really show us if a client is in red because they literally knew that there were more customers that are probably going to churn or for sure renew. And it just was a little bit bland, if you will. So I think what he meant was to initially, his intention was to build a system that would show the executive team which accounts are likely to churn. And he was really frustrated with it. He was really considering the throwing the whole thing out. And uh, I thought 
he thought it was a little bit of embarrassing to, to even show something like that to management because there was no way that the system could predict based on the limited amount of data that they had whether or not a client could literally churn. Uh, the likelihood was very, the probability of churn was not aligned with the expectation. That's interesting. So there was a lot of data there, but it wasn't actually showing him what he needed to know. Yeah, he just didn't trust the data. You know, if there was a lot of land, there were too many customers that were yellow. And so what are you going to do with it? Nothing. Yeah, it wasn't enough value in what they created. So did you help him solve that problem? Well, you know what he did is it's really important to understand that when you build a health score, you have to have a clear objective in mind. So in essence, you need to objectively look at what you want to feed the health score and then ask yourself, what does it really mean? What does the health score really tells me? So in this particular case, one of the issues was that he wasn't using enough variables to be able to accurately predict churn in the first place. So we did two things to fix the issue. First of all, we changed the way that uh, of the meaning of the health score. So instead of saying, look, the health score is going to tell us whether a client is actually in churn uh, risk, is we said, look, this is a predictive measure uh, to say there's the client needs some more help. <clears throat> it needs some more attention because adoption is low or the usage is low. And that's really all that the health score was saying. So if it was yellow, it meant that the client was adopting, but the cadence of usage of the system wasn't high enough. And if it was in red, that means that they might have needed additional training or the users weren't really using the system at all. And so the, the risk was indeed high. So we really changed the way that he was going to direct the CSM team to think about what to do with the results. So instead of having the health score that would make the team going into escalation mode, uh-oh, the client is at risk, we're going to go for it. We need to develop a scorecard that allows the team to be more strategic and more proactive in building success plans for each client and even launch an adoption email campaign based on um, you know, the usage patterns. Oh, that's really interesting. So it's about focusing what your goals are and then creating playbooks around that. Is that kind of what you're saying? That's, that's part of it. And also, it means that, you know, don't try to build a health score to say if a client is going to churn or not. And I can talk a about it a little bit more in terms of, you know, building a risk indicator does not necessarily mean a health score index. There's a, there's a paramental difference between the two. And I feel that a lot of times clients try to, my clients try to initially build the health score to be a risk indicator. And I think that's what he was trying to build as well. And the problem with that is that the team becomes extremely reactive. They would be, okay, the client is in red. I need to take an action immediately. And then, and then once they're out of the risk, there's less of a priority. So there's a best practices in how to build a true health score that would turn the team to be more proactive. But the interpretation of the health score is not whether or not the client is going to churn. It's really about what are the areas that the customer needs additional attention and needs a little bit more guidance? That is so interesting because I was definitely like in my mind, I could almost rename health score as risk score or, you know, risk factor. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in 2013, when I started with the customer success industry, most of the blogs around health score 
I mean, if, even if you Google it right now, you'll see that most of the how-to blogs around Health Score would say, well, look at which clients churned and why they are at risk and then plug in the metrics for risk indicators and then fire off risk CTAs based on whether a metric turned red. But I believe that that would always result in some false negatives or some false positives. So you have two choices. Either you take the existing health score and reinterpret it so that it's always true, meaning take that, for example, the health score that he built and say, well, it actually answers a different question, which is, does do they need more adoption, training, and coaching versus, yes, they're going to churn or not? Because we, there, there really could be a lot of indicators or variables that impact a churn decision. Um, so it's it's never really true. Um, or you even do one better, which is thinking about how do I build a health score that makes my team more proactive and more strategic with clients to promote health versus mitigate a risk of churn? So it's flipping it upside down. Yeah. The difference between making my team reactive versus proactive. That's amazing. So what would you recommend for those who have a health score that doesn't work? Well, I, I recently had a, health, a, a workshop with a client where we dedicated a whole session just to review their existing health score and do a redesign because it literally didn't work for them and they couldn't figure out why. So I'm going to point out a few of the pitfalls that I've seen in that particular case. And hopefully that will help answer that question as well, giving you a real life situation. Perfect. So the first thing that that we found is that they used way too many variables in impacting the overall calculation. So they, they had a customer success operating system, Gainsight, and they had about eight metrics. And so the way that it works, you can design different metrics and say, okay, all these eight metrics uh, each one of them would have a specific weight and will impact and then we'll, we'll do an average calculation of the whole metric and then come up with an overall score. Here's the problem with that. When you have eight metrics, you want to give each one of them a certain weight. There's eight. There's only 100%. So you might give one of them a significant weight. Okay, that one is going to be 30 or 40% and the rest will get 5 or 10%. So let me tell you something. Mathematically, this is a formula for disaster. It just never works. It's just impossible to do this kind of health score with the intention of indicating whether or not a client is at risk and expecting that the health score would not have any false negatives or false positives. And I'll explain why mathematically this is challenging. And I tried to explain it to the client as well. The, if you have eight metrics and the weight is under 30% each, you'd have to have at least three or four metrics change together at the same time before the overall score, not your health score, your risk indicator, right, <laughs> would turn red. So, but in reality, you know, a client that it could churn even if one metric has turned red. If you chose your metrics properly, any one um, one of them changing to red could result in the customer churning. And so, meanwhile, the overall score 
the client as a you know does still shows as green or as yellow even if two metrics are red that's such a good point yeah so the first thing that you do is you know if you have eight metrics all of them impacting the overall calculation you'd probably run into the same issues as the first example that i've mentioned you will have some clients that are showing as yellow most likely some of them might even show as green but you know that they are red. The second thing, and I will submit it to you, that any health score that is designed as a risk indicator or as a churn indicator is bound to fail. And I'll repeat that because I think it's very controversial or counterintuitive, and it's probably not the way that most health scores are usually currently designed. But if any health score that's designed to predict churn is bound to fail. I have a question about that. What if your CEO just wants a list of, you know, your your at-risk accounts and that's what they want the goal of in quotes health score to that's the story they want it to tell. Right. I know. The best thing that I've seen so far in, you know, folks that are trying to do something similar like that is they actually have one of the metrics indicate whether or not the client is indeed insurance. So I'll, I'll address that actually. What you want to do is, first of all, design the health score to be based on specific variables that indicate uh, you know, whether or not the customer is aligned with best of breed practices. If you do design a health score that's designed or is based on variables that indicate churn risk, just know that at the best case scenario, the probability of the model to be right or the health score to be correct is at 80%. That means that when your executive is looking at that list, if they're looking to do, to have like a report that's automatically generated based on automated health score calculations, even if they're based on statistical analysis, it's at 80% probability. And it's okay to show it to the executive team as a whole, but unless a CSM or a customer success manager actually proactively reaches out to clients that show as red and validates whether or not it's true and has the power to turn it from red to green then so that we don't have false positive or false negatives, then the whole exercise is moot. So we could have that health score for the management team to say, look, at a probability of 80%, we have X number of clients at risk or X percentage of our clients are deemed at churn risk. But when we design one for the customer success managers, that is not helpful for them. That's only a metric that's helpful for the executive team because they want to assess the overall 20,000 foot level you know, map of what's going on with the clients. If we design something for the customer success manager, and impact their efficiency, we should not think about a health score that indicates a risk. We should think about a health score that answers a different question. What is the question? <laughs> <laughs> the question should be, is my client aligned with best of breed practices? We want the health score to indicate is this an ideal customer? Are they doing everything our top clients are doing? And if not, how far down the journey are they to become best of breed customers? 
And that's the green, red, yellow, green, right? And then once you have that in place, I have, I could have 14 different metrics, ideally not, but I could have multiple indicators as to what come, you know, what makes up a green client, meaning best of breed. And then I can show which areas are they aligned with best practices uh, for my solution. If I do that, I can actually print that out for a client. I could take a screenshot of that health score, share it with the client, build a maturity score model based on those different metrics and build a roadmap and success plans to get them to be best of breed. And the client would typically be totally on board with that because they want to be. Mm -hmm. Creates a bit of competition there as well. Yeah, you know, exactly. These are our these are our prized customers, and you're almost there, but not quite. You're all you benchmark <laughs> exactly. You exactly. benchmark them against the your top clients in terms yeah. of what they're doing with you, the resource that they dedicate, the number of use cases, how long of a vision they have with you, all those things that you would love to have with a client. And yeah, by the way, Ali, if if we did that, a client that's not aligned with best of breed. And I'll give you some example. They don't have an executive sponsor or they do, but they don't have a long-term vision and they're not fully engaged with you. And maybe they have one single use case versus multiple use cases. And the list goes on, right? What would a best of breed client looks like? Then they probably do have an inherent risk of churn because they're not maximizing value with you. So you still get the answer that you need for the CEOs, but you, you have something you can give the CSMs to actually improve the situation instead of just saving maybe 5% of those at-risk accounts um, and just letting, ignoring the rest. Not that you would actually ignore the rest, but um, this gives you actual right. steps you can take to improve and move everybody towards advocacy. Um, it, it, it turns you from proactive to strategic. Yeah. Because instead ooh, of just saying, ooh, ooh, I have a few red accounts, I have to address them immediately. I'll look at my whole list of clients and I'll say, okay, for each one of them, what do I need to do to move them towards green? It's a completely different mindset. Mm. Okay, perfect. So taking all this, you know, now that you've flipped our understanding of health scores on our head, um, is there a process that you would recommend listeners take right now in order to avoid these pitfalls and design a health score that always works? So I'm going to outline an approach that one, works 100% of the time. No false positive or false negative. We're going to take that out of the equation completely. It will also turn the team from churn firefighting mode and reactive mode to proactive. And then focuses the team to maximize value and provide them with a clear path to becoming the client's trusted advisor. To create a health score that gives you these outcomes for your team, mm -hmm. I recommend the following steps. I'm so excited. You have me at the edge of my seat. So step number one, the first thing that you do is you analyze your top clients. And by that, I mean those who are engaged, the ones that are your advocates. They're super loyal to you in every respect. So in other words, you want to identify who are your top 5%, your ideal customers, the ones you wish that all your other customers were similar in behavior, resource they dedicate with you, 
their vision, level of engagement, advocacy, you know, the list goes on. You know, the ones that you love working with, you know, what is the difference between them and other customers? So what you want to do, though, is outline exactly what are the common traits between uh, the, those specific clients. And so after you identify who those are, you want to interview your customer success managers to find out those common attributes and make a list of those. And so this would, t I don't mean industry, right? I mean, those, those things that the client can actively opt into and that you can work with your client to develop. I'll give you some examples. Features that they're using. What are the common features that your top clients are using? Modules or applications if you have more than one. What is the level of utilization percentage? What, are, are they part of your advocacy program? Are they giving you references? Is their CEO or their executives on your advisory board and fully participating in it? Do you have the right above the line relationship with them? What does it look like? What's the maturity of the use case? Like I said, is it a single one or do they have a multi-departmental uh, use case, meaning more than one team is using it, or they just have multiple use cases or some interesting use cases with you? Uh, do they have the technical resources available? Do they have dedicated ones? Have they gone through training? And what is the alignment of their business processes to your solution? And are there other business processes that should be aligned? So once you're done, you're actually going to have a really clear roadmap of what the health score should comprise of. So in other words, we want to design a scorecard that outlines whether the client is really aligned with your best of breed clients or not. It's sort of like a benchmark tool. And then instead of having the health score indicate how close they are to becoming, uh, you know, to, to, to going through a churn process, it will indicate how close are they to becoming a best of breed customer. And the, the variables that are highlighted in red are now an indicator area for the customer success manager to work with the client towards a development program, which we typically call a success plan. Yeah. So using this, this methodology, once you have the health score in place, you'll see that sometimes we can automate some of these things. Sometimes some of the metrics would be manual. If you do have some manual metrics, that would be more aligned with a strategic customer where you have a white glove or a strategic engagement model. For the lower segment, you will have to rely on how can you tell you know, maybe do a different exercise for the top clients for the SMBs where you have less resources dedicated to that segment and you might come up with different answers. And ideally, the answers to what does a top client looks like might ideally has um, metrics that you can fully automate because otherwise it would be very hard to create a digital or an on-demand engagement model that could be uh, the action item resulting from certain metrics being red or or even yellow. It's interesting because you're taking it almost from like glass half empty to glass half full. Like are you mm -hmm. or racing exactly. to either racing to the bottom or racing to the top? And so we yes. switched that around. Do you have any advice around how many how many of these metrics 
to pull in like because people are going to be wanting to you know fit this into their framework that they had before I can mm-hmm. I can see it already it's happening in my head so do you have advice around like how many I don't I think I think you already explained you know how to actually track it you know whether depending on your tool and what where you're at does, does this turn into a, a score you know one zero to hundred similar to the the previous one? yes so what I also recommend and I haven't really spoken about this uh, yet is to align the health score with an actual maturity score that you can show a client. And I don't know if you've ever seen sort of like a scoring sheet that you can work with a client where each one of those metrics is now, you literally explain what each score means. So you can have the variable, let's say it features you, and there's a scale from one to five that they could get a score. The five would be the best of breed and one would be your most junior or almost horrible client, meaning no features used. And so they get a, they get a score from one to five for each one of those, ideally. Um, so first of all, I recommend having a one to five approach. B, have a sheet that you can share with a client to explain each one of those scores. So it's not just internally for the CSM to know how to score the client. It's really a working sheet that you could add to a QBR to have a discussion around where they are right now versus top clients and where they want to be. So it's a starting point for a success plan discussions. And then how many? It needs to be something that's palatable to a client. So this whole health score methodology, instead of coming from the top down, meaning to serve a question that an executive has, it's more about a client-focused approach. What do the client want to know? What's in, what is in the control of the client that we can have an enrollment conversation with that the client would find useful? And so if you add more than eight metrics, it's usually too much for a client, uh, in all honesty. And uh, when you think about the calculation overall and what it means, then it doesn't really matter now if you do have eight metrics and each one of them is five or 10%. I think that's totally fine. And the score really interprets like if you're at 100%, you are our best of breed client and you are fully aligned with best practices on our maturity score. But if you are at 50 out of the 100, that just means, Mr. Customer, that you have some more work to do to be, you know, best in the industry, best of breed in this particular business. And so if I'm an HR practice, ideally some of these metrics that I include in a health score are also aligned with me being a trusted advisor for the the client. That means that certain processes are in place and the team organization might be structured in a certain way to accommodate processes that our system supports. Those are just some examples. That's amazing. I I have a million ideas already because it's not, it's not like you're saying there's, it's not about the eight it's not about the eight metrics, is it? It's okay to have, because I, I can think of a lot of specifics, even on the engagement mm-hmm. front. I would love to be able to tell my customers, you know, your customer engagement is fine, but your team engagement, or maybe mm-hmm. even like your sales team engagement, that for us, that would be a huge opportunity exactly. to bring them along. So it's not like you're saying don't get into the details necessarily, but just flip your approach to it so that you're, again, just hope everything in customer success, if we stopped to think about why we're doing what we're doing. And instead of doing it for ourselves or our CEO, we do it for the customer. It changes the way you approach it and it, it changes the whole outlook on what you're doing. So 
It's crazy. It's crazy how that can be applied to so many things. And this is such mm -hmm. a good example. Yep, exactly. It's a customer focused health score approach. What are, what are some of the other variations that you've seen? Typically, I, I had requests for either creating a health score that predicts churn that is aligned with the renewal rate or that's aligned with, um, you know, different types of things. But I think what is more interesting to talk about is how does the health score typically looks like? And so there's different variations of how, you know, you could have the health score, but how do we design it? Um, so I've, I've seen anywhere between you know, red, yellow, green, as simple as that, just three, <laughs> that's it. Um, and that would be like a pick list in Salesforce. You switch between red, yellow, green. <laughs> um, I've seen more elaborate one in Excel, um, or even I've seen one that are based on letters, or the most common one is one to 100 score range. Okay, which which ones are the most common, or what are the patterns that you've seen companies use? Yeah, you know, the, there is a pattern in the way that companies use or choose what design they're going to pick for the health score or how they kind of represent the health score itself in a system. So if we look at young startups and they don't have any systems in place, basically there's less than 50 or 70 clients. They're still using a lot of Excel spreadsheets. Uh, we usually see um, some elaborate Excel spreadsheets that helps them just be super flexible and change things from quarter to quarter as they learn more and more about what works for their customer base. So it's very hard for them to envision what a top client looks like because everything is so new. But they will track, you know, what's the engagement, whether or not they're fully onboarding, you know, very simple things like that. And if they're smart, you know, in terms of the way that they approach technology, they'll use Google Spreadsheet or Smartsheets so that they can even share the score and allow for cross-functional trans uh, transparency and collaboration with other uh, folks in the organization by using comments or notifications when things are changed. And then when we look at customers or even customer success management teams that are a little bit more mature, they would typically have a more structured uh, approach to a health score. So the one where I do uh, typically see a red, yellow, green pick list in a Salesforce is when the company's mature, but the CS CSM team is new. So the first thing that they do is say, okay, each CSM has a portfolio of accounts. Let's add a pick list in Salesforce that's red, yellow, green. Maybe add another field to explain why it's red, yellow, green. In a more advanced, when we sort of like started interfering, uh, we also asked them to do to add like a reason of why they're red, yellow, or green. But that's very common um, for mature companies. They already have Salesforce in place or some other systems, and they just add a couple fields just so that they could do a quick report. And it's really designed to answer that question that the executive team has. How many counts are in red? And it's probably a question that the board of directors is asking. But it's not designed to help the customer success manager except for a little bit of a priority. Yeah, I'm going to treat all of my red accounts as a high priority now, but that's a very reactive approach. Exactly. So, so fascinating. Yeah, and then what I usually see, you know, when the team is getting more mature, they prove their case, there's an investment in the company that's true to protect the ongoing revenues, the recurring revenues that is coming in from the client base, 
then we usually start getting a little bit more creative about the scorecards design. And I usually see, you know, not one overall score that's accompanied by multiple metrics that support the total aggregated calculation. And the most popular format that I've seen is the one that's using the, the three colors, red, yellow, green. Personally, I recommend five colors and then aligning that with a scoring model that you can work with your client. And I usually see a one to 100 scale. And so this, the, both formats have pros and cons, uh, but I think that's, that those are the most popular things that I've, I'm seeing depending on you know, where the team is and where the company is in terms of uh, their overall customer success strategy. So if you had to, you know, what do you advise? Do you advise the five color scale? Is that what you would typically? The, yeah, I'd advise, you know, the five colors. First of all, build it with five different colors and then think through what would make most sense. I think one of the reasons that most companies pick one to 100 is because, you know, in Gainsight, for example, when you pick that specific option, then the system will, when they calculate the overall score, you will get a specific average, like 87.5 or something like that as the overall score versus, you know, if you just have colors, you don't have a metric that you can then trend in a graph. So that's one of the benefits of going to 1 to 100. Personally, if we could take just the colors and then translate them to a specific metric, maybe in a a separate database and then are still able to show a trend, then the numbers don't really mean a lot. Um, so personally, I just like doing the five the five different colors because it's um, very useful from the point of how mature the client is. So for, for the methodology that I recommend in this podcast, the five colors works the best. So what's, do you have any examples of maybe the most unique way of designing a health score that you've seen? Yeah, I had one client that I thought was really uh, interesting because the customer success operations manager was uh, colorblind. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, designing a health score that has a shade of light, yellow, <laughs> and then a shade of orange just didn't work for him, right? Yeah. He couldn't see it. So, um, like in Gainside, there's actually you can you can pick a third option that's uh, based on grades or letters. I like that. I really like that because <laughs> everybody can relate to getting an A or getting an F. <laughs> Very relatable because you look at it like grades and then how the clients are being graded on, it still has an element of a color. So it's a combination of colors and letters, but at least if you're colorblind, everyone can see, you know, whether they got an F, a C, a D, a B, whatever. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, the, the way that they did that. The, the only drawback is that it doesn't automatically calculate a numeric score. But like I said, I think with, uh, you know, a calculated field and an if statement saying A is 100, you know, that that makes it easier. The other thing that I like about that is when you only have five letters, each letter really represents a range of uh, scores versus if it's one to 100 and I'm a customer success manager, how do I know whether I should pick 87 or 82 as the score for this customer for this particular variable? It's very difficult to wrap your head around it as a CSM. So in that respect, I kind of like the letters, and uh, but I, I rarely see it for some reason. 
I really, I think now that you've, you've um, shared that secret on the podcast, I think you'll see that a lot more because that for some reason that like really speaks to me. I think that it creates a bit of like, again, like people want to get an A and it's just something about gamification and human nature. Like we just want, we want that. Well, hopefully we do. (laughs) Maybe not everybody, but well, that's amazing. That's, that's such awesome information. So just a couple closing questions. Um, I'd just like to pick your brain a bit on, um, first off, what are your favorite resources for customer success in general? For me, the most interesting thing to watch, and I hardly ever miss a a single thing that Adam O'Donnell at Successfully produces on YouTube is all those interviews with the customer success executives For me, as uh, somebody that works with a lot of companies, it either provides me validation to what I've seen my other clients do, or it gives me more ideas to share with others. And so there's no reason to invent the wheel, but it's really interesting to hear different organizations, what what works for them, and and then help spread the joy. (laughs) I so agree. I love Adam's channel, and I, I actually get it on my phone. So I listen to it, but I'm always stopping it, uh, re- rewinding, writing things down. It's so good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so great. And I'm, uh, we're very blessed to have him start this initiative. And uh, I really don't ever miss a chapter that he does. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I do record my own vlogs on YouTube. So, I, you know, if anybody's into YouTube, I highly recommend checking out the YouTube channel for CSM practice. Definitely. We try to post something once a week, every Thursday. Awesome. I'll put links to both of those in the, in the show notes. Perfect. Any other resources that you want to share? Yeah. You know, one of the blogs that I really enjoy reading, and again, I don't ever miss reading it, is uh, the blogs that Nick Maida from Gainsight writes. I think they're so in, such an interesting read. It's always so well thought out. Uh, and of course, when I was starting out in customer success, I couldn't get enough of Lincoln Murphy's uh, blogs as well. He's just so, so well articulated and his uh, thought leadership is absolutely wonderful. So if people want to reach out and they have questions or want to find out more about CSM practice, where can they find you and, and get in touch with you or follow you on social media? You know, usually I put a lot of effort into the tweets. I try to promote not just stuff that I write or participate in, but also any kind of blogs and events that I'm planning on participating in or I think that are going to be super valuable for others. So I highly recommend, uh, you know, following that account. It's at Erie or at CSM Practice. And we keep it very clean just on customer success. So you won't be seeing any pictures of, you know, my own family or my dog there. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed by that. I kind of wish there were some dog pictures. I do post some on Instagram and I do accept any anybody that tries to follow me there. I also have um, the companies at CSM Practice Instagram uh, account as well. And we post a lot of different nuggets of wisdom and different announcement of blogs and events that we do so that nobody misses anything. And same goes for the Facebook page that we have for the company. Um, and finally, you know, on LinkedIn, there's an option now to follow folks' profile. And so almost every blog that I write, I publish it on our own website um, and also on LinkedIn. So either you follow me on LinkedIn or you subscribe to our newsletter, you're bound to get 
um, a link to the YouTube video or any new blogs that we write or events that I'm going to participate in in that email so that you don't really miss anything. Perfect. That's awesome. Um, I just followed you on Instagram, so look out for that. Let's see. Do you want to share a little bit about CSM practice and, you know, who you help, what kind of projects you're taking on, if you're, you know, what, what do you actually do with CSM practice and if anybody's interested in getting some consulting from you? We have two programs that we find to be super successful and very, very um, popular with clients. One is for clients that either have a new customer success team or new people on the customer success team or just want to align their customer success organization with best practices. That program is called the CS Navigator, and it offers coaching sessions for just the executive. And what's unique about it is that we actually work with them in developing the uh, engagement uh, materials. So really define the journey, define the playbooks. We don't just uh, train them on best practices. We hold them ha their hands until they implement it with their organizations. And then we have a separate program for the teams and an offering of a full day session where we would come in and do a lot of brainstorming around strategy. The team sessions include uh, shadow uh, sessions and feedback sessions opportunity on live customer engagement that you have. So for example, if you have a QBR and you want the coach to actually be a silent audience or just recorded and having watched that and give you a feedback, then we also provide that. All of those are available for the whole team. So we work with teams, not necessarily individuals, unless it's an executive. So it's, it's fairly, like you usually recommend signing up for anywhere between one to three quarters of programs just so we could do enough change management. Yeah, our biggest service is the CS Accelerator. These are our outsourcing services for our customer success operations. You know, we acknowledge that most customer success teams have already been established. And one of the critical areas that they have is addressing the uh, scalability of the team, making them more productive, more efficient. And where the deficiency is, is that they don't have enough budget to get someone on the team that can do the customer success operations uh, piece of it, either part-time or full-time. And so the CS Accelerator program is designed to allow companies to have a part-time resource to support their team in all regards of CS operations. And most of the clients that sign up for that particular service either need a gain side administrator, a, a dedicated Salesforce uh, administrator to make some changes in their CRM system, or they need somebody to create enablement documentations. We had one client that wanted to launch an LMS system, the learning management system, and they just needed uh, somebody for three months to create uh, training scripts and recordings for that um, system so that uh, uh, they can launch the program faster. If people want to find out more about those services specifically, should they just get in touch with you through the other channels we mentioned? Or is there some, somewhere specific where they can get like actual pricing questions answered and stuff like that? Yeah, the best way to reach to us is probably through our website. Uh, I would recommend going to csmpractice.com, read a little about the programs, and then submit a contact form. Tell us a little bit about your business, what you're hoping to achieve, so that when we get in line, we you know online in a on a call with you, we already know 
a little bit about your goals and we could make the call uh, be super productive for, for the both of us. Perfect. That's awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I cannot wait to get this published. This was amazing. You're welcome, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for today. If you have any questions about anything Eurit discussed today, you can get in touch with her directly. Um, if you have any questions about how you're currently managing your customer feedback, please get in touch with me. And as always, we really appreciate your reviews on iTunes so people can find us. That is Turn It Up Podcast on iTunes. And my email address is ali at receptive.io, A-L-Y at receptive.io. Thanks and have a great week.